welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, I have a question for you to think about today. You're not going to have to discuss the answer with your neighbors. This is just kind of personal reflection as you're coming in today. Um, when you meet someone for the first time or connect with someone online or you're building your profile on social, um, what is it that you most want to talk about or most want them to notice or know or see about you? Right? Or perhaps, here's an easier way, what is, what, what is uh, the thing you don't want to talk about, you want to talk about the least, or hope that they don't notice, or you don't want to display or put front and center when you're meeting someone or connecting online or building your profile? Here's a, here's a couple suggestions, a couple prompts of, of what you may most want to talk about, most want to put forward, most want to display, most want to post, most want people to see, or least. Is it um, your job? your job status or your job title or education. Maybe that's the thing. Uh, is it your kids? If you have kids, what they're doing, um, how many you have or what they're achieving or accomplishing. Is it your relationship status? Is that what's most important for you to display or let people know or talk about or bring up? Is it your looks, your body, or your health, you, you most want them to notice that, or you don't want to talk about that at all, or you don't want to post that at all, or you do? What about your house, or car, or vacation, or hobbies, right? The stuff you spend your money on, or time doing, or entertainment? Or is it your wealth, or achievements, or accomplishments? Stuff you've gained, milestones you've passed. What do you most think about putting forward? Do you most hope comes up in the conversation or you would think to introduce yourself as or start the conversation or most um, feature in the profile or perhaps least? We'll just leave those questions all up there for you just to think about for a moment. Um, pretty much every year I speak at a young adult conference in the GTA that my friend uh, runs. And um, there's usually four main speakers for the day. And what I've noticed, I've been a part of this a few times, um, I'm sort of the Canadian content. Uh, and the other three are usually quite um, famous. They have books, they've started stuff, they're known in other parts of the world, they're on the speaking circuit, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and they usually, when they speak, like before they go up, there's like a bumper video, like a video of themselves and that features their books or what, you know, like the numbers of what they've accomplished or massive movements they've started. And I was in the back getting ready to go on one day and the MC said to me, hey, Vijay, um, how should I introduce you? And I was like, oh, I don't know. He's like, well, have you written any books? And I was like, no. He's like, well, what, you know, have any accomplishments? Like, what, what's the resume highlights you want me to say? And I was like, I don't really know. And so I think he ended up introducing me as like, hey, a friend of the conference is like friend of the show. Um, and I couldn't help but feeling like, oh, like, yeah, maybe I don't belong here. You know, like a, a little bit less significant. Um, like really what have I achieved or who am I really? And maybe that's the same feeling you have as you think about that list of stuff you would want to put forward or perhaps more likely the stuff you wouldn't want to put forward, you don't want to talk about, you don't want to bring up. In many ways, they're, they're the measures of, of success or more to the point, they're sort of the, the construct of our identity, 
our relationship status, our accomplishments, our achievements, our education, our health, our beauty, our body, our strength, our kids, our family, our relationship status, whatever it is, they're the sum total of, um, of the me I want to be or the me I, I think I am, the me that I think others see me as or I want them to see me as, um, the me others expect me to be, my culture, my parents, my family, my friends, my circle, whatever it is. Um, I think that's true about um, all of us in some way. And those aren't bad things, but let's just be honest about this, right? Many of them are not bad things at all. They're good things. We consider them blessings, and they're things that maybe are worth our time and our energy investment that make up our life. But let's be honest. We can spend an inordinate amount of time, energy, money, tears, trying to get those things, trying to keep those things, or just agony and grief and frustration if we can't get them or we can't keep them. And let's be even more honest. If those really are the measures of success or what it means to be me, then why is it that there are many people in the world, in fact, many people you know, who have all those things or who have more of those things than you who could tick all those boxes, people you follow on social or people you know who have all those things and yet they want more? Like clearly it doesn't seem to be enough. <laughs> and even more honest, some of them, when they're honest, after they've achieved those things, they would say, yeah, that's not really me. This is not the me I want to be. This is actually an empty shell of me. This is not the true me. This is not really me. And so sometimes they want to give it all away or they want to leave or they want to change things or sometimes they even want to exit their life because of it. So we have to be honest in the things that we think and say or construct, the me I want to be, the measurements of success, maybe aren't the things that are true. That a new car smell or a new phone or a new job or a new boyfriend isn't the same thing as new life, new you. I bring this up because we are in a series that we have called Inspired, the new life we're meant to have that happens from the inside out. It's a series actually where we're talking about the Holy Spirit. But then that's actually what that word inspired means, to be inspirited, that the Spirit of God is, a, is like a breath we breathe in or a drink poured into our lives or a spirit that comes in to influence us, not by possession like we talked about last week, but influence, change from the inside out to slowly bit by bit turn us into a new person, to bring us new life. And I think the really good news is that the new life God is giving you, the new person God is making you into, the new you that God wants you to be, uh, is not about your education, your job title, your accomplishments, your family uh, status, the number of kids you have, whether you're married or divorced or single or your relationship status or your wealth or your body or your beauty or your intellect, the new life God has for you is not primarily about those things. <laughs> That's good news, but it's also hard news because it means, wait, I have to change my way of thinking because we're so hardwired to think of ourselves as this is what it means to be me, all of these things, or this is what the measures of success, do I know I've arrived or the kind of person I am or the life I wanna have or what new life really means. And so over these weeks, we're actually saying, okay, God, tell us what is 
the new life really about? What are the things that you are, who's the me you're trying to make me to be? that you've created me to be, that actually deep down I want to be, that I can be honest about some of those other measures of success is that they aren't true to who I really am or who I really want to be. Well, then what is it? A couple weeks ago, we started with this idea that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, sounds really kind of crazy or whatever, but it's really simply the Spirit of Jesus living in us, that Jesus himself, instead of relating to Jesus in the flesh, like the people who lived 2,000 years ago got to do, we relate to Jesus as his spirit living in us and that he begins to slowly influence us from the inside out that more and more we become like Jesus. Today is actually Pentecost Sunday, the day that we celebrate and remember the first time 2,000 years ago that the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And we celebrate it not as in like, great for those people back then, but like this is a reality still, that the God is still giving the Holy Spirit to followers of Jesus, to the community of Jesus, so that we can experience new life from the inside out. And if you missed any of those first ones, I'd encourage you to go back because it lays the foundation for this. If you even have questions like, who is the Holy Spirit? How does that even work? But today, I want to talk about like, what's the picture of new life? If it's not these measures of success that we often and like just can't seem to help but measure ourselves by or think that that's what it means to be me, what is a picture of what the Spirit is actually making me into? And for that, we're going to take a little field trip to my kitchen. Today, I made some jello using this mold. Put the gelatin in, put it in the fridge, and raspberry gel, my favorite. Now, there's some things that maybe you could easily observe about Jello, but I'm just going to point them out anyways. This is a what we call a synthetic product. Okay, so let's read the ingredients: sugar, gelatin, adipic acid, sodium phosphate, sodium citrate, salt, color, fumaric acid, artificial flavor. So, it is synthetic. Um, it's also quick to make. I poured it into this mold, put it in the fridge for a few hours, and out it comes. And in fact, a little known fact, you might be very interested to know, I used to be the marketing manager on Jell-O. Yes, and it is as glamorous as it sounds. But I literally went to the plants where I saw them fire out these boxes hundreds every minute. And so it's quick to make in the fridge, and it's pretty quick to uh, make as a product. Uh, one of the other things you'll notice about this is, is it's insubstantial. As I read on those uh, ingredient lists, it's not very nutritious. It's not substantive. Um, not really gonna uh, help you too much in like you really shouldn't eat too much of this. Um, it's also quite finite. Uh, if I put it in the sun, it would melt. It sort of melts in your mouth, which is maybe why you like eating Jello. Um, and it has no core structure. Uh, it's all gelatin, no skeleton, right? All jelly, no skelly. That, that's a bar. No one's around to hear how good that is. But anyways, that's what this thing is. And what's interesting about this is it's molded from the outside in, right? Like I said, there's no structure. There's no skeleton to it. It's a little bit like uh, we talk about the measures of success or those things that we said, hey, they're not necessarily bad, but they're all external measures of what it means to be me, what I look like, what, I, um, what I'm capable of, my achievements, my education, my height, my skin color, um, my wealth, my possessions, how I present myself in social media or in interactions or in the world around me, and what the world expects me to be or says the measures of success are, it's, it's molded from the outside like this gelatin is. It doesn't have skeleton, it's not formed from the inside, it's molded from the outside. <laughs> in case you're wondering, this is not <laughs> the picture 
of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives or according to God, the me I'm meant to be. It's actually more like this. It's an apple, it's a piece of fruit. Now, this is not synthetic, it's biotic. Um, there's no ingredient list on there, no barcode. Uh, it's an apple. The ingredients are apple. Um, it is, unlike the Jello, not quick to make. I did not make this. I could not have made it overnight. It grows on trees that take a long time to grow, to plant, to cultivate. It's not quick at all, but it's substantial. It's actually, there's sayings about an apple a day or whatever, but it's good, it's nutritious, it's valuable, it's nourishing, in part because it's biotic, because it's life-giving. Unlike the Jello, which has no skeleton, this thing has a core. We literally call it the core. It has a structure. It's actually formed. It's not shaped from the outside. We don't hang molds on apple trees and make these apples. It grows from seeds from the inside out. And therefore, it is also able to be multiplied. The seeds produce more and more and it grows. It's not finite. It doesn't just disappear even though you can consume it. And this is actually the analogy or maybe even more importantly, the metaphor that the biblical writers use all the time to describe the you you are meant to be, the me I'm meant to be, what the measures of success are. Interestingly, we call this Jello a product. We call this produce. This is what the Spirit is producing in your life and mine. And I want you to listen as one of the early church founders, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a new community of Jesus followers to describe to them this work that the Spirit does in our lives, the me that, that he is making us to be new life from the inside out. Let's listen. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. What we find from Scripture, and in this particular passage that the Apostle Paul, um, one of the earliest followers of Jesus and sort of founders of the Jesus movement, um, is writing to this young church and describing the work of the Spirit in our lives as fruit. Um, that instead of being a product of our environment, shaped by the external things, we are produce, or the Spirit produces fruit from the inside of us. And he actually goes on to list and he says, and I don't think it's an exhaustive list, like this isn't everything that the Spirit does, but it's kind of a comprehensive list. And lists were common um, in Greek writing and Greek philosophy. And so Paul borrows from the writing style of the Greco-Roman first century. And he's got a list even before these verses, there's a list of things that, are, are, that can happen in our lives through our own effort, through our own flesh, not good. <laughs> But then he says, yeah, but this is what the good thing that the Spirit wants to produce in your life, this fruit. And he gives us these lists. Now, here's the thing. This can kind of um, um, sound like a generic kind of vanilla, any like moral or ethical kind of Christian religion or any just what is, isn't this what it basically means to be human? Like nobody's looking at this list going, what? That's weird. And one looks at the list goes, yeah, yeah, okay 
right? Isn't that what religion or Christianity, or just isn't that what it basically means <laughs> to be human? But as we think about this in terms of, no, no, this is fruit that the Spirit begins to produce in our life that grows, uh, like progressively, not quickly, like we said, but grows progressively from the inside out, um, it actually starts to help us think, no, this isn't any old generic list. And in fact, if, if we, can, we can actually split the list into two categories, just make it a little more helpful and, and help us go, oh, wow, that is profound, that is significant. And if I can use the language um, uh, sort of that we've already discussed in terms of like, what is the, the measurements of success? Um, or what is the new you? In two categories, really, uh, that these words would find themselves in. How you treat, specifically, difficult people, and how you handle, specifically, difficult circumstances. That these things can fall into these two categories. How you treat people and how you handle circumstances. Really, like we take the list and divide it. How you treat people, love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. These are all descriptions of the way you treat people. And in fact, as we'll see, difficult people, right? Love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and how you respond, especially to difficult circumstances, joy, peace, faithfulness, and self-control. And I want to just unpack this a little bit to think about this fruit or what the Spirit is producing in our lives as it relates to how we treat other people and as it relates to how we respond to our circumstances. The first thing, and what's interesting in, in Greek philosophy in the lists, often you can get an indication of the significance by the first word in the list and the last word in the list. And in this passage, the first one is love, which describes the relationships. The last one is self-control, which describes our response to difficult circumstances. And so it kind of actually falls nicely in those two categories. First is love, like when it's how we respond to other people. Love, um, and in fact, this same writer in a different uh, book, 1 Corinthians, um, describes love by using many of these other words. So in other words, they're all kind of subset, the, the, at least the ones on how we treat people, are related to this idea of love, which is, we live in a culture, love is love, not feelings, not emotions, not sexual desire, um, but other-centeredness. This idea, this word love actually comes from the word agape, which describes the love of God. It's a word uniquely used in New Testament literature to describe the self-giving, self-emptying, self-sacrificing love of God. And so love describes other-centeredness and how we respond to other people that we put them first, especially difficult people. Um, and it goes on to give some definitions or some further definitions kind of all related to love, how we treat other people. Patience. This isn't about not swearing in traffic or when the lineup at the grocery store is too long. That's not patience. That's not what it means here. This is about, the Greek word kind of implies patiently enduring and even forgiving people who are against you. Right? This is specifically related to being patient or when it, the, the old-fashioned word is forbearance bearing up or bearing with difficult people and even people who are against you, even having a posture. The idea in the New Testament of forgiving debts or what others owe you is actually where we get some of the, this word patience comes from that. So, right, forgiving debt, we talk about that, like forgiving loans. It's the same idea of like forgiving those who, who are indebted, who have wronged you or who have a debt towards you. 
That's what patience means, bearing with difficult people. And then kindness and gentleness, or goodness, kindness and goodness, they, they're sort of very connected, overlapping. That's about um, not people who have wronged you, but people who are in difficult situations. Basically extending mercy, showing mercy, going out of your way to help people. Not saying God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. I think that's Abraham Lincoln. Uh, not saying, well, they deserve it. They made this stupid decision. Or if they only got a job, they could, or they could fix this, or they hadn't done that. <laughs> Kindness and, and goodness extends grace and mercy and practical help to people regardless of their situation, regardless of their background, regardless of whether they, quote, deserve it or not. It's the natural, empathetic showing of mercy. And then gentleness. Gentleness is about when we are offended or when we have to confront someone that we're not gruff or harsh or brisk, that we are soft in how we treat others, how we respond to someone provoking us. We are not provoked to anger, to harshness, to criticism, to revenge, to fighting back. But in the face of provocation or in the face of confrontation, we are soft. We are gentle. If you just take like, oh, love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, it just sounds generic, right? <laughs> but if you put it in the context of towards difficult people, to put other difficult people ahead of yourself, to put other demanding people ahead of yourself, to put other people who are competing with you ahead of yourself, to go out of your way to show kindness and goodness and grace and mercy even to people who don't des deserve it, to be patient and bear with another person who is driving you crazy or seems to keep having the same problems or is against you, to patiently bear up and bear with them, not just grit your teeth and try not to swear at them or lash out, to be gentle even when they're provocative. Friends, <laughs> in difficult circumstances, this is no vanilla list. This is hard. But the scriptures say this is the kind of fruit that the Spirit is and wants to produce in your life, to form you, to have from, come from the core of Jesus at the center of your life that produces this kind of love towards others and produces this kind of response, especially to difficult circumstances. The word joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness cannot last in prolonged seasons of difficulty. Happiness can last for a little while, but when the difficulty and the darkness and the heaviness goes on, happiness disappears. But joy, joy can grow. Joy can be light in dark times. Joy is like a persevering vibrancy. Like this thing, this circumstance, this sickness, this trial will not steal my life, my vitality, my vibrancy. That's what joy says. It's not naive happiness. It's not positivity but it's a vibrancy that darkness and difficulty and sickness cannot rob from you. That's the response. What about the response of peace? Peace is not like Zen on a mountaintop when the sun's shining in your face. Peace is in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trial, when everything is swirling and chaotic around you, that you have a grounded assurance and calm that you are at rest on the inside, 
even when the storms rage, even if nothing changes, even if people or circumstances or things are chaotic, that inside of you there's a grounded assurance, a hope, a trust. And then what about this? Faithfulness. Faithfulness is a steady perseverance, or it's like staying the same person over a long period of time, being faithful to our commitments, carrying through on our commitments to others and to things, even when it gets hard, especially when it gets hard, especially when the rules change and the terms change and things are not the way we thought they were going to be when we got into this relationship, when we got into this job, when we got into this situation. Faithfulness stays the course. It perseveres. And then self-control. Self-control is how we respond to the difficulty of temptation. We live in a culture that says, hey, if you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, drink. If you have sexual desire, find someone to express it with or find some outlet for it. If you're angry, throw a punch, right? Instinct. We're just animals. Just do it. <laughs> there was a song on the radio years ago, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel, right? Like That's basically the view of our culture when it comes to sex. This is just an appetite or whatever it is, expression of emotions. Just let it out. Self-control allows us to delay or deny desires. It's how we respond to temptation. The desires of our flesh that need to be denied for a long period of time or in the moment or just delayed and expressed later when it's appropriate, when it's right, when it's good. Friends, this is response to the difficulty of temptation. And this, right, joy, peace, faithfulness, self-control, these are the things that the fruit of the Spirit respond, or like produces in our life so we can respond to difficult circumstances. This is the new you that the Spirit wants to create. How do you know that these are actually the true measures of success? Like how we respond and treat difficult people and how we respond to difficult circumstances. How do you know they're the true measures of success? Well, one, they're probably the things you admire most in other people. Right? I mean, we watch movies about people who take revenge, but we admire and are humbled by people who forgive. Right? The people we truly admire are the ones who find a way to love and serve and care for difficult people, downtrodden people, who go into difficult circumstances and face up to difficult people and respond with love. Those are the people we admire. Those are the people who we read biographies about. Those are the people whose lives have impacted us dramatically. Those are the people we write speeches about when someone says, write about the most influential person in your life. And the people who respond to difficult circumstances with joy, with peace, with faithfulness and self-control, those are the people we admire. That's how you know these are the true measures of success because you admire people who respond to crisis, difficulty, stress, health issues, prolonged seasons of difficulty with grace, with joy, that they, they, they still have a vibrancy. They haven't become hard after going through something hard. They're vibrant, alive, faithful, self-controlled. That's who we admire. And the other reason you know this is true is because people who have every other measure of success, education, wealth, relationships, beauty, whatever, when they fall, or if they fall, and there's lots of stories in the media, the media loves to call out people who fall, right? It's a call-out culture. It's usually because of a failure of one of these two things. A failure to love, like they were exposed as a very unloving person. There's some video on Instagram that captures them yelling at the grocery store clerk or, or you know, doing something damaging to someone in their family or just how they treat people on the set of the movie they're filming or their teammates or whatever it is. 
we know that's what actually makes us realize, oh, you're not successful at all, how they treat other people. And when they flip out or wig out or lose it or can't control themselves in response to temptation in difficult circumstances, we think, oh, maybe they're not so successful. This is how you know these are the true measures of success. It's the people you admire and how they treat other people and how they respond to difficult circumstances. And when we see people who have all those other measures of success, but they fall, it's often in one of these two areas. This is why the best thing God could do for you is not to just give you, you know, let you get into the school you want to get into or give you the job of your dreams or help you make tons of money or make you more beautiful or more stronger or give you that boyfriend or girlfriend or help you get married or um, help you build a home or buy this or that. Those aren't bad things. But the best thing God can do for you is not to tick all those boxes of measures of success. It's actually to let the Spirit produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the best thing God could do for you. And here's the thing. You probably caught this in the language already. You cannot do this for yourself. You cannot just produce this. You can't make this happen in your life. These earlier verses talk about how we either, by the flesh, by our own effort, we try to live by the law, try to be a good person, try to do good, just try to respond properly, and by our own effort, our own religious moralism, try to do that, or we're just slaves to our flesh. We just do whatever we feel like, do whatever we want. We talked about that last week. None of that produces this kind of fruit. It's not ultimately up to you. You cannot do this in the flesh or in your own strength or by your own power. That's why God has given you His power, His strength, His Spirit. This is something God does in you. It's the gift of the Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. You need God's Spirit. You think spiritually, how does this happen? <laughs> well, he goes on to say, look at this. This is so fascinating. How does, like spiritually, how does this even happen in our lives? He says, look, in Galatians 5, 24 to 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. See, spiritually, you need to understand, we're going to talk about, okay, practically how, but spiritually, how does this happen? Well, it actually uses a very graphic image. It says what happened to Jesus actually happened to you. When he was nailed to the cross, so were you. Not literally, but your old self, your flesh, your, your own personal effort, your own personal instinctive responses to your desires, all the parts of you that try to just get better and do better and be better or just do whatever you want. That's your old self. And the scriptures say, actually, that old self doesn't need some minor modification, just an update, a 2.0 or some lipstick. It needs to die. And when Jesus was crucified to the cross, graphically killed, you were killed too. That's why in baptism, like I said, the symbol is death, old life. And then what happened to Jesus is he was raised to life. Now you have a new life. In the spirit, now I have a new life. He says, those who belong to Jesus, this is what's happened. Your old life is killed. The human part of you that just tried to effort and make your way there or just try to be better or do better or live up to some standard or just the flesh that just says, oh, I'm just going to do whatever I do or I am what I am or I'm just kind of an animal or that's what a guy does or that's what a girl does or that's just what it means. We say, no, that part died and you have a new life. And the new life you live by following the spirit spiritually, the scriptures tell us, that's already happened. This is the great news. But practically, how does that happen? How does this fruit get produced in our life? Well, I'm going to tell you something really obvious. 
the Spirit leads you to opportunities to show love to difficult people. <laughs> How else do you become gentle? Except that you are provoked and have an opportunity to respond with gentleness. Except that you have to confront and have a difficult conversation with someone and you choose to use kind and gentle and, and not, be, uh, uh, not gruff words or harsh words. You can't say you're gentle if one out of 10 times when you're provoked, you're soft. You don't retaliate, right? You're gentle if eight, nine times out of 10 when you're provoked or when you have to have a difficult conversation, you're soft and not harsh and gruff. So it's not like one apple on a barren crab tree, uh, a crab apple on a barren tree, right? It's a whole orchard. It's fruit. This is, this is something that has to happen. And the only way this gets produced is when we're continually led into opportunities to deal with and respond to difficult people. And the Spirit will lead you through opportunities to respond to difficult circumstances. God, the Spirit in your life is not the author of sickness or um, God doesn't tempt us or whatever, but we go through those seasons. And when we're there, the Spirit can lead us to respond in different ways than we're used to doing. It's only by it's exposure therapy. By being exposed to difficult people, we are given opportunities to show love. By being exposed to difficult circumstances, we are given opportunities to display or to produce, where the Spirit can produce joy and peace and faithfulness and self-control, which means this. Because I kind of know how you pray, because this is how I pray. God bless me with opportunities or this or that or like all the success things or, you know, make my life better and get rid of difficult people in difficult circumstances. That's um, maybe I'm the only one confessing, right? But that's how we pray. But maybe the very circumstance, relationship person you're trying to get away from, the boss you hope gets fired or the relationship you want to get out of or the difficult friendship you're in that you just wish would go away is the very place that God is going to use through his spirit to produce the fruit of love and kindness faithfulness, gentleness, patience. Maybe the very circumstance that you just wish was over or the health crisis you wish could be healed or the difficulties that you think, how long is this going to go on for? Is the very place that God is using right now to produce the fruit of joy and peace and self-control. Maybe right where you are is where God can produce these things. As I said to you, today is Pentecost Sunday. And the scriptures describe the, the Spirit as the breath of God that we breathe in that fills our lungs with life. And the drink that we take in over and over that progressively begins to influence us, we are under the influence of the Spirit. And Pentecost Sunday isn't like, oh, isn't it great that it happened for those people back then? It's a celebration of the fact that God is still giving His Spirit to his people. And not just in a one-time way. The writers of the New Testament actually use a present ongoing tense. They say, keep on being filled with the Spirit. And so we want to give you an opportunity today to come forward to receive prayer. We have people who have been praying for you. Obviously, they didn't know who you were, but they're praying for a congregation. And they're ready to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit. And here's a couple of ways that you can come forward to receive that. For some of you, you maybe it's the first time you're going to say, you know what, I'm actually I actually need my old life crucified with Christ. I need to be in Christ. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus, to have my old life dead and gone and to live a new life and to receive the Spirit. If that's you and you've never done that, it doesn't matter how, how long you've been in church or what religion you grew up in or whatever, religion and church attendance is not the same as making a decision to follow Jesus. And so maybe today is that day where you want to say, yeah, 
my old life, my human effort, just trying to be better or do better, or my flesh that just instinctively responds to any temptation or any stimulus or any response, and I don't like it anymore. I want a new life. You come forward and ask them to say, pray with me, and they'll lead you to pray to receive Jesus and to be filled with the Spirit. Second, some of you may say, oh, there's a specific fruit of the Spirit that I've been talking about, right? Whether it's how you respond to other people with love, with uh, patience, with kindness, goodness, or a gentleness. Maybe one of those things, you know, man, I need more of that, or I need that right now. Or the response to difficult circumstances, I need more joy, I need more peace, I need more faithfulness, I need more self-control. If there's one specific fruit or a couple of them, you come forward and ask, hey, can you, can you pray for me to be filled with the Spirit to produce this kind of fruit? Or perhaps third, you're just saying, I just want more. I want more and more and more of the influence of the Spirit in my life. And like we said last week, there is more. And so if you're in any of those boats, don't delay. Don't be shy. I have come forward many times to that. I was at a conference a few weeks ago. Many times I was like, God, more, more of the Spirit. Anytime you get a chance, come forward to be prayed for, to be filled with the Spirit.